0: 10 9 8
1: 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 Hello and welcome to this episode of ESA Explores Space Operations. This week we delve into a fictional asteroid impact playing out for real at this year's Planetary Defense Conference. I'm Rosa Jesse, editor at ESA's Mission Control and Operations Center in Germany, and in this episode I talk to Detlef Koshni, in charge of the agency's planetary defense activities. We talk about fictional asteroid 2021 PDC, what our options are to potentially prevent the impact, if an impact like this is even very likely at all, and why exercises like this really matter. First, I asked Detlef, to explain a bit about his impressive role.
0: My name is Detlef, Detlef Koshny. I work at the European Space Agency and I'm the acting head of our planetary defense office.
1: Coolest title possibly in the world.
0: Yes, I'm the planetary defense officer. We we deal with asteroids that could potentially pose a threat for our planet or our assets.
1: And are there many of those?
0: Yes and no. So asteroids, there are plenty out there. We know more than 900,000 asteroids, tiny little pieces of rock or iron, say, you know, a few meters, tens of meters, up to a few kilometers in size. But not many of them come close to our planet. We have something called near-Earth objects. Those are objects that come to within a third of the distance Earth Sun to the to the Earth, and there we know about twenty-six thousand. Those are the objects that we really monitor all the time. Those that have a possibility or a computed probability to hit our planet of more than zero there we just know a bit over 1000 so it's not that bad
1: okay and the really huge dinosaur extinction sized asteroids how many of those are there
0: i've think there we we can positively exclude that this will happen, at least not in the next one hundred years. The large objects like this dinosaur extinction object that was about ten kilometers, there we basically are we are confident that we know all of them that are out there because they're so large that they're easy to spot. We are more worried about the smaller objects, say tens of meters in size, which could do something like in 2013 over Chelyabinsk that you just get a shockwave that does some local damage that's I think what we are more looking into right now
1: yeah lower risk but more more likely
0: that's the thing it's a trade-off between how often does it happen compared to what's really the the problems we get if we don't do anything about them
1: Yeah. So we're talking today because the Planetary Defense Conference is currently underway digitally. It would have been in Vienna in a parallel universe where the coronavirus hadn't happened. But um, the particularly interesting thing about the Planetary Defense Conference is that every time it happens, we have this fake asteroid impact that plays out and it's used to teach us about how well our processes are working for dealing with an asteroid so this is asteroid is called twenty twenty-one PDC. And can you tell us a bit about what we know about it so far?
0: Yeah, so the this this is a fake scenario, as you said. It's not a real thing. It's it's like a tabletop exercise, I would call it. The, the simulated asteroid was discovered just a few months ago and it will it was predicted to hit our planet even at the first discovery with a probability of about 50%. And the way this scenario is played, that every day of the conference we jump a bit in time. So yesterday was day number two of the simulated scenario, and we are now in in May of this year. And the predicted impact will be in October, or would be in October. So that's not very far in the future. And today we were told the impact probability is 100%. We know for sure that this simulated impactor, it's not real, uh, would enter the Earth's atmosphere somewhere over Central Europe.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Bad news for both of us.
0: It depends on the size. You know, if this is, say, a 10 meter object, you don't care because it will completely disintegrate in the atmosphere. What we unfortunately know already in the simulated scenario is that it's probably larger than several tens of meters. 70 something meters is the smallest estimated size. And it could be as large as a few hundred meters in size. When, when it was discovered, all you see is a little dot in your telescopes. It's very difficult uh, to find out what really is its size. That's something we, we hopefully learn very soon in this simulated scenario.
1: Yeah, uh, in a few hours we'll get the day three update and hopefully we'll find out more about the size. Um, yeah, being unaware at the moment of whether this is a reasonably small asteroid or a quite huge asteroid has an effect on how we'd respond to it so what are the current options that are being played out in this hypothetical scenario
0: we we have certain thresholds which were defined over the last years on when or when we would be doing what and if an asteroid is predicted to be larger than 50 meters in size five zero 0 in size i mean in diameter if it were a sphere then we need to discuss deflection scenarios if we have enough time we can send a spacecraft there that simply hits the asteroid and you know like a car accident if if you run into a car which is parked in front of you you push the car in front of you a bit away and that's something we could be doing Unfortunately for that, we don't have enough time because this is only a few months out from now. So I think if we really decided in this simulated scenario that we need to send a deflection mission, we would need to think of a nuclear deflection. So, you know, what you do is you have a nuclear explosion next to the asteroid that has the highest energy density that we can create somehow. So that would be the only option to really deflect it. But then the problem still is, how do you get something launched that quickly? Uh, it takes, say, a few years to prepare a rocket. And uh, this is something I guess we will be discussing in this simulation scenario today.
1: Yeah. Some of the discussion yesterday uh, was about this nuclear option and the different laws that currently exist and there are quite a few treaties that say that nuclear weapons aren't allowed in space obviously for good reason and we asked the Twitter sphere about this what they think and, and unsurprisingly quite a few people think that if earth is at risk then a nuclear uh, weapon is, is justified. Is there an ESA position on this or what do you think on this issue?
0: There is no official agency position on, on this topic, at least not yet. What our position was is, and this is shared by other space agencies, we need to look into this. And we have, there is something called Space Mission Planning Advisory Group which is a, a, say a coordinated group of space agency representatives. They were endorsed by the United Nations in 2014. And within that group, we had a, a working group on legal issues. And they have started looking into exactly this question. Um, I mean, on the United Nations level, there is something called the Security Council. It has decision authority it could actually decide that in order to save this planet, we have to circumvent this law somehow which currently exists. It, it also specifies that there was a discussion, for example, on, you mentioned nuclear weapon. Is it a weapon if you use it to, to deflect an asteroid? I mean, it's not really a, mm. a weapon. A weapon is defined as something that you use to do damage to, to some person. So it, it's tricky. I don't think there's a final answer yet. So We're looking into this, but I'm sure that if that were the only chance to save humankind, there would be a way of doing that.
1: Yeah, and it just shows why this exercise is so important, because it really highlights the different routes we can take, and the different paths we could take in different scenarios. So this asteroid appeared quite recently uh, in this hypothetical scenario, it didn't really appear but uh, in this scenario we only discovered it with about six months before it would impact how likely is it that something like this would happen in real life that we'd discover a dangerous asteroid with such little time to prepare?
0: It's uh, yeah, tricky. I mean, we we model the population of asteroids out there, so we have a good feeling of what we should see coming towards the Earth. And of course, we know the objects that we have already detected, and unfortunately, it is true that for objects larger than 140 meters in size, we don't know yet, say, the, the last 10% or even a bit more. So there are still a few objects out there which we don't know. And 140 meters, that is something I would prefer to deflect rather than to let it hit and maybe evacuate a whole country or something. So, but the conclusion also was discussed in the conference. It is very important that we discover these objects. If we don't know that they're out there, then we can't do anything. So we are really focusing also within Europe our activities or our, our budget on building telescopes that discover these objects. That's the important thing to do. So it, it is possible. It is unlikely that it happens, but it's something we could do something about, and that's why we are preparing for it.
1: And ESA is working on the FlyEye telescope, which should help us observe quite a few more asteroids. Could you say something about that, the FlyEye, and and what role it will have?
0: Right now, the surveys, as we call them, the, the telescopic surveys that we do to scan the night sky to search for new objects, they are all funded by our American colleagues. And within Europe, we... We're planning, or we are planning, to contribute to these survey activities, and that's what we built the Flyeye telescope for. It's it's almost ready. We we are moving it to a site in Italy. This was built mainly in Italy, but with contributions from all over Europe, and uh, it's moved to a site where we can test it under the real sky. End of this year, end of 2021. And the intended final location is a mountain in Sicily in a very dark area in one of the darkest in Europe. And it will then start hopefully very soon to scan the night sky just like the telescopes from our American colleagues.
1: And it's called the fly eye because it, it borrows technology, I suppose you could say, from an actual fly's eye. What does that mean?
0: The it's it's the optical design of the telescope is special. The normally what you do is you, you just take a normal telescope, say like a pair of binoculars, only much larger, and you put an electronic detector um, instead of your eye. And if you make this electronic detector very large, then you get a very large field of view, which is what you want to discover as many of these objects as possible. The FlyEye telescope goes slightly a different way. It actually splits the field of view that it would see into, say, uh, an, an array of four by four, so a total of 16 smaller field of views. And each of these 16 channels is imaged by a dedicated camera. So it's a slightly different technology, which also means it's a bit more challenging, but it has advantages. Once it's there, it's going to be much better than the conventional conventional approach
1: yeah it's really high tech not i think this technology yeah it's pretty new so it's exciting that this telescope will soon be available to us um and so coming back to the exercise that we're currently going through what is the point of this um you know it's a serious conference and you have a lot of experts pretending That something's about to happen kind of playing make-believe what's the point why do we bother doing this
0: well I discussed this with my wife this morning and I think I came up with a nice uh, comparison suppose you want to learn how to drive a car the the approach that you could do is you could read a lot of books and understand the mechanics of say how the steering wheel connects to the wheels and then you will know that if you turn the steering wheel to the left, your car car will actually drive to the left. Does that work? Probably not. If I would put you in a real car and say drive, then you would probably mess up. Now, what we're doing now is basically we're using a, a driving simulator. It's still not the real thing. Luckily, we w- don't want to have the real thing. But we are simulating like in a a car simulator, driving simulator, what we're doing. And then suddenly we find out, oops, ah, here there is something which doesn't really work the way we thought when we just read the book. So it's very important to try out what you think you should be doing in a close to real scenario. And I think this is as real as we can do it for now without having an actual event happening.
1: Yeah, that's a good analogy. Um, And so in in the case of this asteroid, there are various options for deflecting asteroids in general, such as the gravity tractor, where we'd launch a really massive mission to fly next to an asteroid and its gravity would gradually pull it onto a different course. But a lot of these options take a while. They work by gradually changing the orbit over time and that builds up. But um, what other options would there be if this asteroid was going to strike, but we had longer to prepare, which is maybe a bit more realistic.
0: There are two other nice options which I think are really realistic and not just science fiction. One we call Iron Beam Shepherd, and it basically blows the asteroid uh, out of its course. It uses ion engines which push. You know, you point an ion engine, which you normally use to to push a spacecraft away from the Earth or away from the sun. You use that to push the asteroid away. Or the second one, even more simple, it's called kinetic impactor. This is where we take a satellite. It should be massive, but doesn't have to be important, is high velocity. You shoot it with very high velocity into the asteroid. You don't need any bomb or explosives. It's just the kinetic energy, as we call it, that when you hit the asteroid, you will push the asteroid a tiny little bit away. And this is also why, as you already mentioned, this takes some time to become effective the this the change in velocity of course has something to do with the ratio of the masses the asteroid typically is much heavier than our satellite but because our satellite hits it with a very high velocity then you will just in you know you will move the asteroid just a tiny little bit it will have a tiny little bit delta velocity and if you do this early enough this will move the object enough so that it does not hit the earth anymore. Yeah. Here's the cool thing. The cool thing is we are actually trying this out as before we said you need to to try out things before you are really convinced that you can do it. There will be a mission called Dart uh, to be launched at the end of 2021. It will go to an an actually a double asteroid system where it will arrive in October 2022 and it will hit the smaller of these two asteroids. Now, these two asteroids are not on a collision course to Earth. Again, this is just an exercise, more or less. And when it hits the smaller one, it will change the orbit between the two objects slightly. And that is something we can first see even from the ground. But then also the European Space Agency will launch a bit later, actually another spacecraft that goes to the same asteroid and it will characterize the surface properties. It will measure the mass of the object in high detail and it will look at the impact crater that our American colleagues created on that asteroid. And then we say, okay, now we understand what we are doing. Now we are ready to do something if there were a real threat.
1: Yeah, it's amazing that it's actually happening. I still find it quite hard to believe. So yeah, people should definitely watch out for that. The launch of DART this year and the impact next year, and then ESA's Hera mission. Yeah, very exciting. So yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add about this particular impact scenario or anything you think people should know?
0: Yeah, again, it's it's an exercise. It's not a real thing. But it's important to do these kind of things to be prepared and be ready. And uh, yeah, I just want to bring over the message. This is something real, but it's also something we can do something against it. Uh, Either just evacuate an area if it's a small object like Chelyabinsk, or we, we can actually deflect it.
1: Yeah, that's an important message. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, that we can actually do something about an oncoming asteroid impact, which is very cool. Great. Well, thanks, Detlef, and enjoy the rest of the conference. Hopefully, Germany will be safe from this fictional impact.
0: I hope so too. On the other hand, you know, one of the ideas of these simulations is that we play it through to the very end. So I wouldn't be surprised if something horrible happens. (laughs) It's like a detective story here. It's really exciting.
1: Yeah. Well, last time New York didn't fare very well, so we'll see.
0: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, the the conference was meant to be taking place in Vienna, so guess what my assumption is for the final impact location?
1: I won't say a word. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Search for ESA's rocket science blog to read the full story of fictional asteroid 2021 PDC and follow ESA Operations on Twitter for live updates as the scenario plays out. For more information on the risk we face from asteroids and the work being done to keep us safe, head to ESA.INT forward slash planetary defense. And remember, subscribe to ESA Explores Space Operations for more from the heart of ESA's mission control.